Well, well, well. How are we all doing? How's things? You're very welcome back. This is the James Hempton Show. And on today's episode, we have a very special guest. Like I always say, all my guests are very special. But today, I'm introducing Brian Ohengesa. Now, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Brian is a renowned nutritional coach, and he's the head nutritional coach at Triage Method. Basically, helps people who are struggling with their eating habits and their relationship with food. And on today's episode, we're taking a deep dive into nutrition and how to basically fuel for vitality with your foods, how to kind of boost what foods help in boosting testosterone. Um, another topic we touch on is serotonin in the gut and also protein timing for muscle gain. Now, this is a very interesting conversation. Like I said, a topic I'm very much interested in at the moment as a young man is testosterone and how to boost it. And obviously, there's many ways in doing that. Food can help. There's also micronutrients that are in there as well. Um, and Brian touches on how he's boosted his own testosterone naturally, which is a yeah, very interest subject matter and uh, something that I think all young men take a big interest in as well as how to boost it, their testosterone. And basically, that feeling of vitality that comes with that as well. We also touch on uh, stoicism towards the end of the podcast, which is a philosophy I'm very much interested in. Um, big fan of Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, um, and Cato, etc., etc., along with the other great philosopher that there is. But kind of Brian's interest in stoicism and how he came across stoicism. And there's also a scenario in there uh, that he touches on, um, which is very interesting. And uh, I'd love to hear your own feedback on it as well, if you get the chance. Before we jump into the episode, I just want a quick shout out, very quick shout out. Myself and my two good friends, Brian and Dara, we are cycling to Croatia come September for charity. We're hoping to raise 60,000 euros. And what we're doing is cycling from Dublin Port, basically getting the, the ferry from Dublin Port, should I say, all the way over to Cherbourg in France. And then we're going to take off from France to Croatia. And it's going to be 2,000 kilometers. We're hoping to get it done. And we will get it done in 14 days, doing 150K a day. So, yeah, check out that page. It's Cycle to Croatia, if you want to have a look there. Um, any donations will go a long way. We're going to split it between three charities. It's Mental Health Ireland, Diabetes Ireland, and the Laura Lynn Foundation. So, your money is going to a good cause. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a big, big task, um, a big ask as well, and a great struggle. Um yeah, so that's how it's going to go. But anyway, listen, sit back, relax, enjoy. Brian Hengsa, how are we doing? Hello, James. I am good. Thank you for having me in here. No, listen, it's an it's absolute pleasure. Um, I've been, I think I've, it's came time now that I'm needing, uh, I've been needing to have someone on to speak about nutrition because out of all the topics that I spoke about so, so far, mm. nutrition has been one that I haven't spoke about all that much at all. And no better man than yourself to uh, to bring you on here today. I first came across yourself years ago, absolute years ago. I think you were working in, in Body First Nutrition at the, at the time. How many years ago would that have been? I worked in Body First from when I graduated from college. So yeah. I, studied, I studied nutrition in uh, UCD. Uh, so when I graduated, 2015. So I was working in Body First 2015 to the end of 2018. 2018? A bit of five years ago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because I did, I go fully online in 2019. I did. Yeah. Fair play. So, did you work in the the Swords branch? They had one in Swords. They did have one in Swords. Yeah. Uh, I very rarely worked there. I was mostly, I was mostly in Clontarf. I weirdly remember the one day that I went in there to get the old 
the mass gainer and the few grenade bars that I picked up. <laughs> I do remember your face, but I just remember just, I think you probably have been in social media for quite a while. Yeah. And, and just obviously uh, putting yourself out there. It's quite interesting. What, what was your own journey into the nutritional coaching that you're doing now? What was your own path into that? Yeah, it's a pretty basic um, origin story. It's like I was playing sports. I was playing basketball uh, as a teenager um, when I was in school. I was quite uh, skinny uh, as a as a teen, like or yeah. always kind of naturally quite skinny. So, mm. um, you know, I got it into my head that I wanted to bulk up and get stronger and not get kind of knocked around on the yeah. court uh, too much. Because I, I, was, I was a reasonably good player, but um, physically I just wanted to have a bit more presence. Uh, so I got got into the gym like as soon as I turned sixteen, and I was able to go to the gym, start training, um, and then naturally you start reading about how to get the most out of your training and yeah. obviously nutrition comes into that conversation massive, quite massive part of it quite early on yeah. um, so I was consuming lots of content there most of it not very evidence based uh, as we do start with um, a bit of bro science oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a hefty serving of bro science <laughs> um, but you know I, I was interested in that and uh, by the time it came to decide like what, I want, what did I want to do after school mm. it's like okay very interested in the nutrition side of things. Maybe I'll go and do that and, you know, become a nutritionist. And I was always, I was always quite um, intent on, on helping people in some sort of, uh, let's say, deep capacity. Yeah. So I, I knew very early on that I didn't really, like in terms of being in college early on, yeah. I knew I didn't want to, you know, get into like public health nutrition, which is like trying to inform policies to help you know the whole population right which is it's quite difficult to do like in terms exactly. of exactly uh, yeah very yeah. very wide um strategies but um and i didn't want to go into academia necessarily and i didn't want to work um for like uh, food business or you mm -hmm. know um i didn't want to work for like glombia or or the carrier group or anything like that um in those kind of roles so yeah it, it kind of left me with like okay yeah i think i would like to you know, have some sort of a practice or some sort of a clinic or coach people, something along those lines where you can really help somebody yeah. before they get like very unwell. So I also knew I didn't want to be a dietitian and work in the hospitals. Um, I would have had to go and do, do another master's, but I knew I didn't want to really do that. So that left me with, um, you know, wanting to coach people, did some coaching courses um, after that uh, to help develop that because, you know, the degree I did like, yeah, fantastic for nutrition knowledge, but um, not a lot of the implementation, like in yeah, terms yeah. of like, you're sitting across from me, how do I actually help you with this stuff? Like, I know what I'm trying to get you to do, but how do we did you take coax you along did that you process? Did you take uh, coaching courses then for, for that to be implemented? Yeah, so we did the precision nutrition level one and two, right? Yeah. which were, there wasn't much available at the time, really. There's a few more courses available now. Triage have a nutrition uh, coaching course as well, so plug that. Yeah. Um, but no, like to be fair, that is very, very good. Like, I know I'm somewhat biased, but it's... Of course it's, you have to it, say that. It's excellent. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, the precision nutrition level two, especially, was excellent, excellent as well. And that uh, was very uh, formative for me in terms of... And that actually teaches you how to coach because like, it, it's one skill, obviously, being a nutritionist mm -hmm. as you are, but actually to coach people, that's a skill in itself. It's almost like having a, a separate degree. Yeah. That the ability to go and do that. You have to, yeah, you have to be able to work, like, work with people. Yeah. You have to have those kind of people skills to help them, you know, change their behavior. Yeah. You have to kind of understand some of behaviors, behavioral psychology and things like that to actually 
get a result from from somebody because yeah. it's you know it's it's all very easily said and done on paper, but how do you actually do that? And like you know, you see people who have like immense levels of nutrition knowledge, like in in academics, yeah. um, but it wouldn't make them a good coach. Mm. You see that in, in all industries, like and in, just being able to express that information that you know as well, so people can understand it. Yeah, is a big part of it, which I'm told I'm good at. Well, I'm sure you are. If you're doing well. And the reason why I know that as well is because you've had uh, a newspaper filling of client wins, as I've seen. So you're, you're obviously doing something right. It's quite interesting. That, quite interesting. You touched on um, behavioral psychology. Hmm. Um, and I'd be very interested in habits and habit formation and everything else that goes with it. And like, you know, eating food, that's a habit, you know what I mean? And we all have habits around food. How could one construct better habits around just eating in general, just eating in terms of eating for for health and vitality. How could someone construct or how how do you go about maybe constructing better habits for the clients that you have? Is there certain ways that you go about it or anything yeah. in particular? Well, I think first of all, you have to know what you're aiming at, yeah. right? So you have to sort of identify what food, what what food habits are you actually trying to implement, mm. okay? And, and there's, there's oftentimes going to be many of those, but yeah. then you have to start somewhere, right? Because I'm not going to say to you, okay, we're going to do these five habits now starting this week and I want you to work on all of these and I want you to hit these targets on all of these mm. because that's overwhelming too much. for somebody. Yeah, It doesn't help you uh, generate a lot of positive momentum. So you want to start small as like a rule for, for, for new habits. Mm. Start small, make it so that it's very, very much something that if I say to you like, okay, James, you think you can do this? Like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being super confident, um, you'd give it like an eight, nine or a 10. Yeah. Right, so we have to scale it in that sort of a way, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because like if 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 I say to you, okay, James, can you can you eat like you know five servings of vegetables each day, and you're kind of like at a four on that, then we have to pull that back. So I'm yeah. like, okay, how about two or how about one? So starting small is important, um, and you know, you'll know yourself like the the environment m- plays a huge role in. Mm how you actually oh, it's so true. implement habits, right? Because yeah. it's, it's such a, a driving force for what you do, right? Um, well, we are just products of our environment. <clears throat> like anything you do in life, I suppose if you go to the gym, you're going to stay lifting weights. If you're in a bar, you're going to be drinking. If you're in a podcast <laughs> studio, you'll probably be doing a podcast. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's just as simple as that. We are, if you're in the right environment, things will happen, happen for you. Whether that be like, but you have to be aware to construct your own environment, mm. whatever that may be. But I suppose it's... Uh, yeah, like it just go like I even think like for an example around food, right? So at home, I'll be quite aware of what I eat because I'm trying to be healthy. I'm trying to keep my vitality nice and high, my energy and everything else nice and high. So I'll have fruit all over the place and you know, healthier snacks and whatever it may be. But if there's if I come home one day and someone's brought a cake into the house, I mean, I'm gonna start eating on the cake because it's just it's there in front of me and it's just it'll catch my eye and I'll want to eat it. It's like you make up that environment. The cake's there, you're going to eat it. Is, is there ways though that you can set your environment up for, you know, winning in different ways, like accumulating them small wins? Is there any other ways that, that people can go about just constructing their environment better? Yeah. So if you think about a habit loop and how that works, kind of roughly speaking, it's like, okay, there's a, a trigger or some sort of environmental cue. So that will trigger what what they refer to as a craving in yeah. that case 
and then there's an action that you take or a behavior yes. yeah, yeah. and then you get a reward from that mm. um and then that that forms the habit loop so you can modify the the cues and the the triggers that you're going to experience so let's say one example that i work with a lot of people on is like a morning hydration habit because, yeah. because a lot of people you know they just get up and they start going about their day and they don't actually touch any water like they might have a coffee which yeah counts as something but you know it's it's, it's not, not it's not water yeah i mean it's only a small quantity as well mm. so like they might drink what 200 mils of coffee or something and look we'll count that towards someone's fluid intake for sure but yeah. you know they're you're going to be reasonably dehydrated at that point so things i say okay well so this is, this is how we coach kind of all habits is like okay th the thing i want you to do is drink more fluids yeah. okay and then we're, we're refining that a little bit more <clears> to okay i want you to drink more fluids in the morning yeah but how do we how do we actually do that and i'll often ask people like what do you think you'd have to do to make that happen and then you know if they need help i'll give them some ideas so it's like look if you leave like water bottles all over the place in the gaff like oh, i love this you will yeah see that and be like oh yeah i'm supposed to drink some water because that's the cue yeah 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 exactly yeah. so that's what i say to people and that's that's a very useful um cue as well like you know you see people with uh, with water bottles you know i've got a water bottle here if you have that with you you're like oh yeah i'm gonna drink out of that exactly but if you don't have it you can't but this is you said in your own environment even when you're on the go these mm. little things these cues i, I love it i think it's uh actually i'm not just prep myself for this and, and talking about habits I had to read Atomic Habits by yeah, James Clear book, it's yeah. such a great book and you touched on water bottles there and, it, and, and and in I think it gives an example in it where I think the title of the chapter was like motivation is overrated and it's it just it all comes down to your environment and I think the example they gave was a hosp hospital cafeteria and they wanted to encourage people to start drinking more water mm. so what did they do without telling anyone what they were going to do because they had stats about it before and no one was drinking water and obviously you want your staff to be hydrated because yeah. they can think clear, they can work better, they can make better decisions and everything else that goes with it. So what they've done, they set the cafeteria up with water bottle stands everywhere and everyone start buying water. And just, yeah, it's just crazy to think like we're such visual creatures. Yeah. And if you see something in your periphery and it's in, it's in here, like I always touch on like, and that's why it's so important as well. Going off another point here, but, and this is another point completely, but just even what you consume with your eyes as well is 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 so critical. Like just on your phone and just in a, in a general sense, you just have to be so aware of the habits you have. Is um, is there any way someone could change up their environment? Oh, I've probably touched on that already, but kind of change up their environment. Like, is there anything in particular that you have with your own clients where they're needing to change their environment to incorporate a new habit or a new style of eating? Mm. Yeah, I mean, so you, you mentioned the cake example earlier as well. So it's like, you know, if you have that stuff hanging around all the time, as you said, you'll be more cued to consume it, mm. right? So but if, if that's like in a press or something, then you're not as cued to, yeah. to go and consume it. <clears throat> like one of the one of the foundational things for nutrition is just having the things that you want to eat in your environment. Yeah. And maybe having less of the things you don't want to eat in your environment. Because like if you open up the fridge um after you come home from work and there's nothing in there. Yeah. Like you're pretty gonna order something. Yeah. What like what choice do you have though? That's that's yeah. the thing. Whereas if you have stocked that with foods that you want to eat and even even ready meals of some sort, like there's lots of like kind of healthy, ready meals available these days, right? Yeah. So they're great, I think, for people, you know, uh, as a backup or if you're having a really busy week or something like that, mm. you know, because it's, 
I think people get too romantic about their nutrition sometimes. And they're like, well, well it's a ready meal and, you know, I didn't cook it from scratch. It was like, but well, you're not fucking cooking from scratch anyway. <laughs> you're just, you're just ordering takeaways and eating shite. So yeah, yeah. make, take a step in, in the right direction and help yourself and, and like make life easier for yourself. That's, That's what I always it. say to people. Like there's no extra points for making this stuff harder than it needs to be. Mm. And look, I, 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 I am for, you know, maybe voluntary discomfort and it builds resilience and things like that. Yeah. But you know, nutrition is something you have to do all day, every day. So let's try and make it as easy as possible. Is it, is it difficult to change people's perception, like when they're trying to improve? Is there is it is it difficult to change the perception on the foods that they're eating, like to make them more wiser in making better decisions? I don't think so. I think you I think you have to just outline to people like what's actually important. Like what are the principles of good nutrition? Because people yeah. are just bombarded with the methods like this diet, that diet, just, yeah. you know, a name and then diet after it. Like, so they're just bombarded with those without understanding oftentimes the principles underneath that's yeah. actually going to drive the results. Like, you know, nutrition in terms of what you're trying to do is rather simple. You know, you're trying to manage your energy intake and make sure that that's um, appropriate. Yeah. You're trying to consume enough nutrients right and and like the food selection will be a vector for that so you're trying to consume enough protein you're trying to consume enough fiber you're trying to consume enough micronutrients and like if you do those things you're kind of covered yeah you know and it can be very simplistic in that sense you, so, sorry i was just gonna yeah. say when you break it down it's so true yeah just it's it's uh it is about energy output though as well i think that's so important like eating for to have good energy is really important and you can notice a big difference, and I have even with the the clients and transformations I've done, is when you change someone's diet around, their they're just their output and just yeah, I keep mentioning the word vitality, but they it, it literally changes who they are as a person because they're consuming good energy, then this energy coming out of them is much better, and they're like a better person to be around. And it just has when you start focusing in on on the food that you're eating, with the food that you're eating, it can. Ugh, it can literally change your world completely. Oh yeah, definitely. So, um, just touching on on muscle building and like transformations, like I was mentioned there, what are some of the obstacles that someone may face when they're when they're trying to put on size, like you were during your teenage years? Mm. What are some obstacles that that someone that maybe is quite lean and trying to put on weight and trying to put on muscle size? What's some What are some of the obstacles that are getting in their way? Yeah, um, we've got kind of two or three main things. It's they're not eating enough protein, first of all, and most people aren't doing that. So that's something that we have to quickly rectify yeah. for almost everybody. And what would be a measure of that for, 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 how for, much, for protein intake? How much should you eat? Yeah. Um, in, in a gram context, you're talking like 1.6 to about 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight. If someone is carrying a lot of excess body fat and yeah. they're, they're quite heavy as a result, um, you can probably pare that down to about 1.2 um, or another way to go about that is like you could say, okay, 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilo of like my sort of ideal, in around my ideal body weight, you yeah. know, whatever that might be. That's another way to estimate that. Um, and in terms of like, because we don't, we don't get everyone to, you know, track their food and everything and, and know how many grams it is. But yeah. it's like having a, uh, a serving or two of a protein-rich food. So you have to know what those are. Yeah, of course. And then you have to understand what a serving is, mm. right, in, in these different contexts. And I give clients, like, the lowdown on that. Because, like, that's another thing. It's like for coaching people, it's not enough for me to say, okay, you know, this is how much protein you need to eat. 
I need to say, and this is how you do it. Yeah. You know, so for example, it's like, you know, if, if you get like 200 gram or if you get 100 grams of any sort of animal protein, like meat, fish, um, poultry, it's like the raw weight is about 20% protein. Yeah. So that's like a rule of thumb that you just have to remember mm. and you can know that. <clears throat> and you can look at food labels as well and it'll tell you that stuff too. But, yeah. you know, if you take that, it's like, okay, so I know 100 grams of chicken is about 20 grams of protein. Um, and I know like depending on the size of the person, how active you are, how many servings of that you need to eat at a meal and we'll build it around that. Um, but I, I do think tracking is useful like for at least a period of time for most people. So yeah, Just to know where you're at. Yeah. And how, how, just to know how much you're consuming as well. It's yeah, really, it, really important. it builds great awareness. And, you know, realistically, like when, we're, when I'm talking to clients about this, I'm like, you're going to have to tell me what you're eating across the week. Yeah. Regardless. So... It's not much more efficient to stuff to just write down what you're eating versus just putting it into my fitness pile, you know? Yeah. So they're both kind of as tedious as each other. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you may as well do the tracking and you'll actually learn more from it. And then I'll get more information. Definitely so. And I think people just understand the nutritional value of food then. That's yeah. the great thing about my fitness pile or, or any other of these uh, food tracking apps is that it just gives you just a, just a simple idea of what's actually in the food mm. you know, from a nutritional sense. While I was uh, preparing for this podcast, I was, I was going, looking through your name, through the internet and finding a few different things. You got very lean at one stage. Mm. Um, I think it was a clip that I seen maybe three or four years ago. What was that process like getting down to a certain body fat? You must have been about 8 to 10% body fat and looking quite well, looking very well. Um, Thanks, what, what, was, uh, what was that process like? Was that quite difficult to do and was it hard to attain as well? Yeah, I'm trying to think where which... It may have been longer, but it was uh, it was on a thumbnail of a video that I seen it. Do you remember what the... I can't remember what the title was. The no, th no but even what the thumbnail looked like. You were just quite lean. Quite lean. Uh, great definition, muscular definition. Body composition was was, was looking good. Because, uh, you know... Do, I, you probably remember yourself, or or do you remember when it was? Was it a couple of years ago? Well, or? I mean, I did, I did like a dieting phase... Um, no, not last year. The year before last, like with Paddy and, and did that. Like Paddy, yeah. Paddy's my coach. Uh, he's one of the triage owners, but he coaches me as well. Yeah. Um. So we did that, and we we dropped like, uh, I think nine or ten kilos. Um, during that phase, and it's been kind of the same. Anytime I've gotten like quite lean, it's like losing about that much weight. So I'm not sure which time it was. I was quite lean as well. Um, in like 2019. Um. Because I, I did a good bit of traveling that year, and I went to Bali, so I think I, I think I dieted going into that, and then yeah. I was like quite malnourished in Bali because just it was just hard to get enough food. Really. Um. So then I went to New Zealand from Bali because I had friends who were there for the year, and I was staying with them. Um. But that that was probably when I was at my like lightest in the last you know, good yeah probably ten years. Um. And did you you done it purposefully? Like you you, you meant to get that lean. Uh, getting to Bali, I did, and then and then, and then there, I just uh, it just I was like, you know, I got the the food poison a couple of times, oh, and geez, yeah. had a few days of not eating uh, each time there, and just I just I what did I do? I was trying to eat probably too quote unquote clean, and and just not consuming enough calories. Yeah, um, so that's what it can come down to, I suppose, as well is is when you get or if if you are if you have a lean physique, you have to understand you need to be eating more and more if you want to gain muscle 
and, and just build yourself up. Yeah, sorry. So we should have we should uh, circle back to that, that calorie intake is the other limiting factor yeah. for people trying to gain muscle. So I said protein, but then also just eating enough calories. And that's a, like for kind of skinny guys who are trying to do this, it's, it's a consistency thing, right? So it's, yeah. Yeah, they might say, well, I, you know, 3,000 calories yesterday. It's like, but what did you do the like five days it's previous? Like you, you, you have to do that every single day. Yeah. And you need to have good meal structure as yeah. well. Because if you're like, you know, faffing about for the first like six hours a day and you haven't eaten anything, then all of a sudden you have a, a lot of uh, ground to make you up. You have a window to just get it in all at once. Yeah. And which that's is, quite difficult to do because you have to digest that food as well. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, your body can handle it, but you're not going to be able to just like, put more and more and more in on on in a short time frame really yeah. so it's going to make life more difficult you're going to feel really full you might feel a bit sick you don't want that yeah that's not going to be conducive to being able to eat more um in the in the coming days you know because it'll kind of put you off it yeah and that that's actually a mistake that i've made and that i think a lot of people in that position make is that they probably probably don't include enough like you know very energy dense foods that we might not consider as being super nutritious or nutrient dense, yeah. but that they actually help get the calories in. What foods would you be talking about in particular? Well, I mean, things like, you know, say cereals, um, things like, uh, like de- let's just say desserts, kind of like as a broad term, like yeah. people could be eating more of those to get the calories in. Now, there obviously has to be a balance to that. You don't exactly. need to eating that stuff like and make getting all your calories from that. But then yeah. that's why we have like, okay, you still have a protein target. Yeah. You still have a fiber target especially the fiber, like fiber intake is probably a proxy for like diet quality, like mm. a very simple, like, you, well, you can't, but you, it's harder to eat a lot of fiber with a poor diet. Now you do see it sometimes. Someone yeah. could just have like a lot of bran flakes and and not that there's anything wrong with bran flakes, but you know, if you're getting 20 grams of fiber from just that bowl of bran flakes yeah. and you're still not eating any fruit and veg, it's not really what you're so trying you to be prioritizing do. getting your fiber from fruit and veg. Oh yeah, fruit and veg, um, whole grains, uh, which you know, bran flakes is one of those. But yeah. you want a bit of a, a variety there, yeah. And you just yeah, you, you want to eat the fruit and veg anyway, like of course. So you don't want to just get your fiber from like protein bars and bran flakes and fiber one bars, mm. you know, because someone could do that. Someone could say, oh yeah, I, got, I hit thirty five grams of fiber yesterday. It's like a processed form of fiber. It's not very natural. Yeah, and it's very. I mean, it's with the nat- the naturality of it because, like, fiber one bars, they use chicory root fiber, so it, you know, technically is natural. But yeah, it's it's not uh, there's not much variety there, and you're not getting all the benefits that come with like fruit and veg or yeah. or pulses like legumes, like beans and chickpeas and lentils exactly. and stuff. Yeah, they're yeah, they're yeah. fantastic um, sources of fiber and other nutrients. Um, so yeah, you need to be eating your fruit and veg regardless. Mm. I think so. And yeah. does it matter, I suppose, like from a protein source or from a po- protein point of view, I suppose obviously you'll have a target to hit most days. Is there, is there any protein powders you normally recommend? Like is there, is, is a whey protein or collagen protein or does, does it really matter the source of the protein or if it's just protein? Like the, the total intake across the day is definitely most important. If you're really trying to dial in on muscle gain, you probably want to get like three to four meals yeah um and feedings of protein because there's an effect there where you're basically trying to hit a leucine threshold per meal and so leucine is, is an amino acid it stimulates uh, muscle protein synthesis so as a like a heuristic if you eat like say 30 like 
20 to 30 grams of very high quality protein, which would be like dairy. So something like whey protein, for example. Mm. Um, or I just kind of use the, the rule of thumb that like if you eat like 30 to 40 grams of protein, it almost doesn't matter what the source is. You're probably going to get that much leucine, right? Yeah. In most cases. It's not, yeah. a per, it's not a perfect rule of thumb. Like no, no rule of thumb is. Um, but you'll hit that leucine threshold, which is about three grams. And that maximizes stimulate muscle protein synthesis. That spikes and then it drops off. So then when it drops off, you can put another meal in there with the same thing, spike it again. And how soon would it drop off? Um, well, this is where the, the kind of three to four feedings comes from. So, cause they've done studies where they just like give people an IV line of leucine, but muscle protein synthesis doesn't stay elevated. Okay. Right. So yeah. there is, um, some sort of, um, pulsality to it, it seems. So it goes up and then it drops off. So you're talking about like, you know, every few hours. Yeah. I can't remember the exact uh, time frame, but it's probably like every maybe three to four hours or so you yeah. can, you can then hit it again. Um, so that, that's kind of like micromanaging protein intake for muscle gain. Still going to be way more important just to eat enough mm. day to day. Yeah. Um, what was the original question there? Sorry. So I was saying, is there any obstacles in the way of someone gaining weight? Or sorry, not gaining weight, putting on um, muscle mass? Uh, was the original question. Oh, sorry. No, you asked me about protein powders and sources. Oh, protein powders. Sorry, protein powders. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah so the, the quality does vary. Um, like whey protein and dairy-based proteins are extremely high quality in terms of the amino acid profile. Um, collagen protein is quite poor from a muscle gain perspective. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, because it's quite low in, in leucine. Oh, right? okay. So it's not very anabolic, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. However, and a lot of people like kind of give out about uh, collagen. They're like, oh, it's in protein bars. Like, so don't be fooled by your protein bar that has a bit of collagen in it. Like, um, you know, you're getting hoodwinked. It's not actually a good source of protein. I dispute that, right? And I don't think that's fair because I think that's like saying, you know, that apples aren't a good source of vitamin C. You should just eat oranges, mm. right? But like apples have their own benefits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That are different from oranges. So like collagen protein is a different source of protein to most of the like the muscle meats or the the dairy-based proteins that we're all familiar with right so it just has other benefits yeah right it may not like it's it, it may not be that beneficial for muscle gain based on that lack of um amino acids but it has other amino acids and what does it make up for then in, in if, <laughs> if if it doesn't what does what what's why is collagen unique yeah, so it's, I don't know if it's unique, but it's quite a good source of the amino acid glycine, which has roles in, say, gut health. It has roles in, it seems to improve sleep um, as well. REM sleep, I think. Yeah, yeah so yeah. like that's that can be an intervention for trying to improve someone's sleep if you get them to take like um, a few grams of glycine um, before bed, before bed yeah. or, you know, at least at least just across the day. And it's it's not... Like glyc glycine isn't super high in most of the kind of muscle meats and stuff that we eat. It's usually mm -hmm. found in more like um, protein sources that have like the skin on, uh, kind of gelatinous things. So stuff on the bone and yeah. might have skin like that would be higher in collagen um, or, or gelatin, which then is high in collagen than um, than muscle meats that we're all used to eating. So mm. it just it just helps inject more of those nutrients in there. Um Collagen seems to have some benefits for uh, like uh, connective tissue health as well. So like uh, ligaments and tendons. Um, I think the research on that is is pretty decent uh, as it stands. So you see some studies where if you take collagen um, like close before training, it can help like reduce injury risk or recover from 
uh, injuries potentially. So like the way I look at like the way I look at a lot of this stuff is like, you know, if someone says to me, I want to try X, Y, Z as a nutrition intervention, I say, okay, well, is there, is there any risk involved? So like if, by you taking collagen, there's, there's no risk involved, right? Mm. There's like, yeah, you just have to buy the collagen protein, but you have to buy some sort of protein source anyway. Yeah. So there's zero risk and there's potentially a reward in, in and around these things that we're talking about. Um, so why not? And it's just another kind of food source in that sense. So yeah, I'm quite defensive about collagen just because people uh, kind of shit on it a bit, but they're not taking it in the right context, I don't think. So I wouldn't want someone to like get like all of their protein from collagen because yeah. then that's just imbalanced. That's like me saying like, I wouldn't want someone to never consume any collagen at all. Right? It's kind of, this, it's kind of the, the reversal of that. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think like, you know, about probably 20, 20, 10, 20 grams a day coming from collagen protein powder, if that's what you use, is is a great idea. Um, and then, you, can, you know, you can make up the rest of like the anabolic proteins from other from, sources. From other sources of protein. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, well explained. Yeah, it was quite interesting. I didn't know that about uh, collagen protein. And is is there any protein you would recommend in particular? Uh, any any yeah. brand or just protein protein in general? I think whey protein of some sort, one that you like the taste of, yeah, is probably very important. A, yeah. a good way to to boil it down. Like the dairy based proteins, like the whey does tend to taste better. Yeah. Um. But you know, some of the plant proteins are good. Like pea protein isolates can be good. So it's kind of like an adherence thing. It's like find the one that you'll be quite happy to drink or consume mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Um. And there's so many options out there nowadays as well. Yeah. So I mean, I I don't know if like a reputable brand, so like the likes of my protein or Optimum Nutrition, any of those reputable brands, like I want to buy a brand you've never heard of. Yeah. Um, but you don't really have to get super specific with a brand Whatever. recommendation. It's yeah, like yeah, of course. one that you like the taste of, one that you're not getting, you know, overcharged for, and one that is what it says it is, basically. Exactly. And it's doing the job as well. Talking about just, just food and supplementation in general, um, I think a really important factor as well, just around what you're eating is building awareness. How do you go about um, helping your clients become more aware of the food that they're eating? Is is there any, you know, psychological things that you may do or like trying to change their behavior around just making them notice the food that they're eating or or kind of what they're doing in general? I think the the simplest way for that is definitely just tracking their food. Tracking their food. As soon as like there's a saying that awareness creates change. So once you create that awareness and like this person sees like, Jeez, yeah, I eat three croissants a day here. That's probably not the best idea, like for my goals. Um, but they may not really, they may not really cop that, and may not really yeah, think about yeah. it too much until they see it like written down, or because it's just been repeated over and over again, or it's in their food diary. So, yeah. no, by far and away, getting awareness around food is just tracking your food in some shape or form for mm. a couple of weeks, and then you'll see where you're actually at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're very good at kind of fooling ourselves and and kind of taking a a nice positive re- uh, retrospective view. Like, oh yeah, no, my last week of eating was pretty good. But yeah, it wasn't really. Until you until you actually have it out on paper. That's so true. Or, yeah. you know, obviously like, you know, for myself, I eat well. All right? yeah. I don't have to keep track of my food every day to know that I'm eating well, but I had to get to that point. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. I'm talking about for people who are more beginner or intermediate with their nutrition. Like they need to create this awareness and have that accountability as yeah. well. Because it does take time. Like, yeah. like, I sit in this position now, but like, when I think back, this only started a couple of years ago for myself, the beginning of my 20s, Jesus Christ, I had an awful diet. So bad. I had no awareness about food I was eating. I'd, 
you know, it was having uh, effect on me in terms of poor skin health. You know, I was maybe carrying a bit of extra fat around my body. And it's like, I just had, I, I lacked that awareness. I never thought about tracking anything at all. And it's, it's until you start doing it and maybe taking a deeper look at yourself, you're like, this food isn't really serving any sort of benefit to me. It's making me feel worse and it's taking away my energy. I'd probably best just to cut it out, but it's hard to do. I think it is a process of just experiencing it for yourself. Mm. And then naturally, you might find different paths or come across, come across a conversation like this and, and get a better understanding about food in general. Is there, is there any other areas of, of health that you, that you look at? I know obviously nutrition is a massive part for yourself, but is there anything else? Like, is there the fitness side of things or just even from a, a mental standpoint as well? Because food can have an effect on our mentality, especially mm. when you look at so much talk nowadays about the good brain axis. Yeah. And that like uh, they say is a 90%, 70 or 90% of serotonin is made in your gut, which is just incredible. So it just goes to show the food that you're eating has an effect on how you're feeling. So like, this is a reason yeah. to be aware of the food. But um, is, is, is the, the kind of mental side of nutrition, is that something you, you take into account as well? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier about how when people are making these changes to their diet and stuff, that they're like better to be around and things like that. Yeah. I, think, I think a lot of that comes down to that person just... I don't I don't have like evidence to back this up. I don't think like in, in research that I'm aware of, but it's like, I think that person being on the path and actually taking good care of themselves and they can feel good about the fact that they're taking good care of themselves and yeah. they're working on their goals and they're achieving, well, sorry, that's evidence-based, um, but they're achieving their goals. Yeah, I think that accumulates. So they're like, they're feeling good about the fact that they're eating well yeah. and they're also feeling good because they're eating well. I think know? that's the more important part, isn't it? They're, they're actually... They're feeling good because no, not sorry, not because they're feeling good because they're eating well. They're the food that they're eating is making them feel good. Yeah, I yeah. think I think it works both ways. Um, I want to comment on the the serotonin point. So yeah, it, it's approximately ninety percent of serotonin is made in the gut. However, this doesn't cross the the blood brain barrier. So it doesn't actually get into the brain. So it doesn't actually have any effect on the brain and and mood necessarily. So that's a very common misconception. That in fairness, I used to also think I didn't know this until. Okay reasonably recently um so what's happening there though so serotonin isn't made in the core so it gets oh, it, to the blood brain barrier and then what happens well so the so, blood the blood brain barrier is a membrane in the brain that stops like junk getting in that yeah, it doesn't yeah, want yeah, to so yeah. it's very very selective in terms of what it lets in there um so there's there's brain derived serotonin so there's serotonin made in the brain yes. and that has actions in the brain okay. so it acts as a neurotransmitter in the brain and then there's gut derived serotonin which is made in the gut. And then it has different actions in the body and the gut. So it has like roles in um, like peristalsis, you know, the that's the that's the kind of um, involuntary muscle contractions that move food through the digestive tract. Okay. So serotonin has a role in, in modulating that. Um, and it, it can affect um, so it can, like, digestive affect, affect motility. The, the affect the mood of your gut almost, no? More so the action of the oh, gut. Oh, the action, the action. Yeah. Okay, okay. The, act, the action of the gut... Um, it affects gut motility, which is kind of, you know, how fast stuff passes through the digestive tract. So, for example, um, I have a good bit of training uh, and, and help a lot of people with IBS, right? So um, that's quite an interesting area in terms of the gut-brain axis because mm. you do see a lot of um, communication there. And look, they don't, like, we don't, don't know super conclusively, like, what are the causes of IBS. We have 
some that are quite, uh, we've quite good ideas about. So yeah. people with IBS seem to have increased um, kind of sensitivity in the gut, right? So they're more sensitive to Certain foods. anything and everything. Yeah, so yeah. foods and then also their mental state. But then that does seem to work both ways. And a really interesting, um, well, I think it's interesting is that a really effective intervention for IBS can be gut-directed hypnotherapy, right, which, is, which is obviously nothing to do with food, yeah. right? And in some studies, it's shown that the, uh, the efficacy of this gut-directed hypnotherapy is as good as the dietary intervention, which would be a low FODMAP diet, right? That's kind of gold standard for uh, IBS yeah. intervention, right? Uh, low FODMAP diet, figure out which foods are kind of, let's quote-unquote offensive mm. for, for you as an individual and your level of sensitivity. But obviously the, the hypnotherapy has nothing to do with what you're eating, yet you can derive a, a significant that's benefit. Crazy. So that's quite interesting, I think, from this, uh, you know, gut brain um, access point of view. Yeah. Because uh, I'd have to confirm this, but I think I think some of the, the hypnotherapy um, procedures in that are like involved in, in helping the, like they're like imagining they're taking like, a medicine of some sort that's the placebo effect, that's going to calm the gut down, right? And they're doing this under hypnotherapy. You know, someone correct me if I'm wrong on this, that might know more, but um, I think that's part of the intervention. So they're imagining this and then this helps to like calm down the, the gut and the sensitivity in the gut. Um, so that's, so that, that, that enhanced sensitivity um, seems to play a big role. The gut microbiota potentially also play a role yeah. in like, cause there's, like there's differences, let's say, in the, the microbiome makeup in the gut of people who have IBS and people who don't, whether it's causative or just a byproduct, it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the, the hypotheses around IBS is like maybe a, you know, an overgrowth of certain types of bacteria and then the low FODMAP diet can help to kind of starve them off and then you can get sort of more balance. That's one like potential theory with it. Um, but like I said, it's not entirely conclusive and it's probably not just one thing either. Yeah. Um, there's a few things involved there and, but those are two, two of the kind of bigger components of something like IBS. That's but, interesting. And with the hip, the, how do you pronounce a hip? What was it called? The hypnotherapy. Hypnotherapy. Is that just a calmer state of mind has an effect on the body? Is it, is, is that some effect of that therapy? Is, it, is our mind just feels more at ease or our body feels more at ease? Because I could imagine if you have an anxious mind, you start, you feel it inside. If you know what I mean? Yeah, well, so, you know, they're, they're kind of, you've seen people, or you've probably yeah, seen people or seen people reference like they're under hypnosis and like the hypnotist makes them like act like a chicken or something. And like, yeah. they're like, oh, you're a chicken. And they go around like squawking on, on the stage or yeah, something. Yeah. So like they're put in sort of this trance state, let's call it, um, for lack of a better word. And then, yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% uh, sure on the specifics of what they're doing, but I do recall i think that one intervention in that space is like you're imagining you're taking a pill for example that is just going to calm everything down yeah. when it gets into your gut but that's obviously your mind telling you yeah you're, you're, you're doing body. that yeah. you know um it, it's quite interesting though uh, i think that's a uh, yeah i just think if you peaceful mind like if you're quite anxious you know we feel it inside yeah well yeah. sorry there's like we all have we, we all can relate to like the sensation of getting butterflies in your stomach, right? There you go. Great example. Exactly, yeah. When you're worried, mm. okay? Um, and you because that's a really simple example that everyone can relate to in terms of this uh, brain-good communication. And, and in something like 
IBS, right? There's, you know, stress and, and like anxiety and things like that can, can trigger it and make yeah. it worse. Um, but it does seem to be bidirectional as well, where in a subset of IBS patients, there's this, um, no increase in, increase in things like anxiety and depression and things like that. Yeah, so there's yeah. something going on there and it does seem to work both ways. So it's not just, you know, stress affecting the gut, but it's also the gut affecting the mental state as well. Yeah, but that, and, that latter point isn't as well uh, teased out, I don't think. Okay. Not yet, anyway. And with the with the clients that, that, that you work <laughs> with, they, they, obviously you're improving their mental state through, through the food that they eat, but is there any practices, practices that you implement with them to make them feel almost more at ease? Because I think there is a real link between mind and body in terms of, like you mentioned there, if you're worried, you can feel butterflies mm-hmm. in your stomach. Is there any way that you try and may, maybe make them feel more at ease in themselves? Yeah, I mean, we have to look, because we look at things very holistically in the coaching that we do. So we look at, obviously, nutrition, we look at exercise, we look at also stress, and we yeah, also look at, massive at uh, sleep, right? So, you know, sleep is a massive one. So if you improve someone's sleep, they're more resilient to stress anyway, and they're going to feel better, Yeah, you know, generally, like, very... Uh, briefly, um, in terms of briefly, in terms of covering it, not not you'll feel better briefly. But yeah. um, <laughs> the the stress management, like yeah, we do talk about that, and we try to identify like what's the source of stress that they're dealing with. Like, so they do they need help with their kind of just life organization? Like, have they got like too many things and they're not organized and not using their time efficiently? Is that causing them stress? That's massive. So we have to look at that. Um, you know, a lot of the clients I work with, uh, you know, have kind of disordered relationships with food and issues with like binge eating and stuff like that. So they experience a lot of stress around their actual relationship with food because they're worried about it and they're worried about how that relates to their bodies and things like that. So um, I use I use kind of mindfulness and like awareness practices, like a huge amount in coaching, especially in that sort of clientele, because... Yeah. On one hand, I do mindful eating exercises with with clients to show them that like, well, you can actually just eat a small amount of this food and actually quite enjoy it and not just have it trigger a binge. Yeah. Right. So you have to actually create this um, permission because a lot of people in those situations, they're like, oh, I shouldn't eat that. I shouldn't eat that. Right. Either because they think it's like bad for them or they have this negative experience with it where it causes them to binge or overeat or it could be both of those things. Um, so if you get them into this situation where it's like, all right, look, you're going to give yourself permission to have this food and you're going to eat it under these like mindful conditions. So you're going to eat it using all of the, all of the five senses and you're not going to distract yourself with like phone or TV or whatever while you're eating this food. Um, because that, that ties back to the habits they were talking about earlier as well. You know, a lot of people just sit down on the couch and then bam, that's a cue for, I'm going to get some snacks, Right. So if someone's dealing with that, there's a few things that I, I can do with them on that. But one of them can be, all right, go have the snacks, like sitting at the kitchen table and eat it mindfully and then go back to watching TV. And you have a different relationship then to the couch. Yeah. So when you're sitting at the couch now, you don't associate having the snacks. Yeah. It's just at the table. This is why it's so important. And you're, and you're getting that mindful aware, uh, awareness of it and you're actually getting a lot more out of that food because you're actually paying attention to it than if you were eating it while you're distracted. Um, and then for, say, people who, who deal with, say, emotional eating, right? They need to have more present state awareness to notice that 
Well, yeah, they have to notice what they're feeling. Mm. So like people ask me or I coach people on this as well. Like how do, how do I kind of reduce or limit emotional eating? It's like, well, first of all, notice and name what you're feeling in the first place. Yeah. Because most people, like if you can stop and do that, you can oftentimes um, cut that process off. But often it's just an automatic behavior, mm. an automatic response to feeling a certain way. And then it just, it goes, they go down that cascade. They've always gone down. Yeah. So notice and name, first of all, what you're feeling and then identify. And, and like often people's vocabulary is a limiting factor there as well. So yeah, use be. something called the feelings wheel to try and help them um, just have a better vocabulary for, for different emotions. So you can just look that up. And That's interesting. It's like a, it's like a pinwheel of. Oh, I don't know how many emotions are on it, but all these different descriptive words for how you could be feeling. Oh, I have seen it before. Yeah. I know what you're referring to. Um, that's quite interesting. Yeah. Emotions and eating is, is, uh, is, is definitely. Yeah. Sorry. So, yeah, sorry. I'll finish that. Um, so notice a name, what you're feeling, and then you can, you can ask yourself, what do I actually need in this case? Cause it's often not food. Yeah. It's probably like a comfort of some sort. And then you can engage in like a problem solving exercise and say, okay, well, what do I actually want to do in order to solve this problem? right? In terms of achieving comfort or potentially can I just kind of sit with these feelings? You know, we'll, I'll use some, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy techniques with people to just kind of be like, okay, I feel this way, but do I have to then like fall off the wagon as a result? Or, you know, it's a question, can I feel how I feel and still do the things that I want to do or that are important to me? It's all about finding balance, isn't it? Yeah. Just live, living in moderation. Um, there's a topic I want to touch on, and it's uh, it's testosterone. Mm-hmm. It's a hormone very much interested. I'm sure you are too. Uh, yeah. as, as a male, uh, the primary sex hormone in the body. Is there is there any foods that not necessarily um, trigger testosterone, but that boost testosterone? Is there, is there foods in particular, or is there any sort of mineral yeah. that, that we get from foods that, that help aid testosterone? Yeah, one of the things I like about nutrition is that it's often a very, very, very similar diet pattern and lifestyle pattern that will be conducive to having whatever outcome you're looking for in terms of your health. Yeah, like yeah. you want to have reduced risk of cardiovascular disease. You want to have like reduced risk of, um, mel- uh, not mental illness, but neurodegenerative disease. You want to have better testosterone, better gains. Like the dietary pattern often looks very similar. Mm. So there are, common features nearly in all of these situations. So that's, I, I, I kind of love that about nutrition. Like it's very, uh, maybe it's not that sexy because it's like, you're just trying to get someone to the same place with their nutrition, no matter what they're looking for. And then there's little tweaks, like, yeah. of course, that yeah. you'll, you'll do in different contexts, but the, the pattern is basically the same. Um, but so some things that are important for testosterone, right? So, uh, it's a sex hormone. So it's made from cholesterol right? However, your body makes cholesterol, right? So you don't need to go eating lots and lots of cholesterol yeah. in order to um, make more testosterone, right? You'll, your, you know, your, your liver makes uh, cholesterol. So if you're eating lots of cholesterol, your liver makes less. And if you're eating not as much, then your liver makes more. So you don't really need to focus too heavily on like cholesterol intake, but it is a, a nutrient um, in the mix there. One thing that is absolutely terrible for testosterone levels is low energy availability. So that's just basically eating too little calories relative to how much energy you're expanding, right? Yeah. Um, and you see that, like, that's that's how uh, women end up with hypothalamic amenorrhea, where they lose their, their menstrual cycle. 
Um, that puts them at risk of, uh, like, uh, obviously fertility issues within that, but then also uh, reduced bone health uh, and things like that as well. So, And for a man, would that be like low libido? Like just no interest in... Yeah, in both cases, it's going to be low libido, low energy, poor mood. Um, yeah, it's just not a good place to, to be in. So, And then uh, luteinizing hormone is what uh, stimulates the, the latex cells in, the, in the, the testicles to produce testosterone. So if energy intake and energy availability is too low, you will get a drop in luteinizing hormone. You'd get that in women as well, and that mm. affects their their um, eggs and fertility. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, too little calories is, is a real big issue for testosterone. What is also a big issue is excess body fat. Too much body fat. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a also a big issue for having healthy testosterone levels because there's there's issues with inflammation there. There's issues with um, just metabolic health. And blood um, flow, I'd say as well. Blood flow being another factor if, if you're carrying, don't know, maybe not. Um, yeah, I mean that that can that can be an issue as well for sure. Um, and like you know, say for example that that diet that I did with Paddy, um, I think yeah, it must have been the year before last. Now where you got lean. I did get lean. I'm going to find that photo. A lot, yeah, I, there's been a few times I've got <laughs> lean, um, I'm, I'm happy to say, but I don't know which one exactly it is. It could be that one. Yeah. Um, but we we measured my T levels at the start and it was about, I think it was about 19. Um, and then, so the, the range goes from like zero to like 31 and then above 31 is like high, like outside of range, right? Yeah. So people taking exogenous testosterone will be past that like 30 well you know you can you can also be there naturally but yeah. that's around the cutoff um so it's about 19 when i started and then you know i think it was like four months of um a fat loss phase we did three months went fantastic and then the last one was a bit of a slog to be honest um and hence why we packed it in but <clears throat> it was affecting like my recovery and things like that but the first three months were fantastic and mm. measured my testosterone after it and it was it was up at like 28 right so it's quite a big jump that's massive and like I didn't do anything special necessarily I was just very intentional with my training um very intentional with my you know sleep right sleep is massive for um supporting healthy testosterone levels and like I didn't I didn't eat anything especially different but losing that body fat probably helped massively so right yeah. so but then there is that um there is a, a point of uh, diminishing returns because if I had kept going with that diet phase and then I'm in that state of low energy availability, mm. then my, my testosterone levels are going to start to suffer. And you'll see that in like competitive uh, bodybuilders or physique athletes. If they're doing it naturally, you know, obviously if they're taking gear, then, then it's not an issue. But if they're doing it naturally, then they're going to end up like with their testosterone levels tanking. Yeah. Um, some other nutrients that are, that are relevant here. So zinc is an important one um, that helps to, to make luteinizing hormone. Um, and, uh, it's involved in, in like conversion of, of, uh, testosterone to DHT, which is another androgen, but it's quite potent. Um, so low zinc status will have a negative impact on testosterone levels. And foods that would be high in zinc would be... Yeah, mostly it's, um, kind of animal proteins are quite high in zinc. So like red meat is, is, is very high in zinc. Um, and then you will get a good amount from like, you know, fish and, and poultry as well. You can get it from plant sources too, like uh, pulses and uh, seeds mm. or, and, and nuts to some extent are good sources of zinc. But if you're on a plant-based diet, probably, probably supplement with some zinc. But, and, and, you know, because most people don't eat enough protein, 
their zinc levels or if their zinc intake is probably not great. You won't get a lot of zinc in in, in like whey protein and stuff like that as mm-hmm. well. So even if, just say if you're not eating much animal uh, meats or fish or poultry, yeah. probably not going to have um, a lot of zinc coming in. And if you correct that, that can be quite beneficial for testosterone. But yeah. that's also not to say that if you have a, a great zinc intake, that adding more in is not going to be, have extra benefit. That's important mm. to note. Like a lot of this stuff is about correcting like deficiencies or insufficiencies that moves you into the range where you're healthy and more on top of that is not necessarily beneficial. Um, magnesium can be another one that kind of indirectly helps with um, testosterone. Um, it, it can, it reduces oxidative stress. Um, so, you know, less oxidative stress. Yeah. You're going to be healthier, going to have better testosterone levels. Uh, it may also reduce uh, sex hormone binding globulin, which, so in, in, when we're looking at testosterone, so you've got like, you've got bound testosterone, um, which is basically not available for the body to use. Then you've got free testosterone, which is, and then you've got loosely bound testosterone, which is somewhat available. Mm. So you could have like super high levels of uh, testosterone, but if you're, um, if within that your level of bound testosterone is also super high, then you don't actually have that much free circulating testosterone. Um, and is that the most important marker is the, is the free testosterone? In terms of having a, like a physiological effect, yeah, that's yeah. going to be the more important marker to look at. Because, um, yeah, you, you could just, you could increase your testosterone, but if you increase like SHBG as well, then the relative change is not really going to be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's that. And then so yeah, magnesium potentially can help reduce sex hormone bonding globulins, then you might end up with more free testosterone. Um, but also individuals like actual levels of receptors for androgens will also make a difference. So, you know, you could have lower testosterone than me, but if you have more androgen receptors, you might get a better physiological response, you know, because oh, okay. there's just more sites for it to act on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, boron is another mineral that's often talked about in terms of testosterone. Now, the the studies on, like, supplementation of boron are pretty poor. Like, they don't, not that they're poor, but, like, you could do the same study, like, a few times and not get the same effect from that supplementation. Hmm. However, I think it's a good idea that you could... Uh, ensure your boron intake is adequate from the diet, right? So we're talking about magnesium and boron there. Plant foods, really good sources of those nutrients. And where would you find boron? What would boron be in? Uh, A lot of plant foods, um, but you can get it in like potatoes and uh, pulses are quite good sources. Um, And then magnesium is particularly high in dark chocolate, it's particularly high in uh, seeds, especially pumpkin seeds. Uh, And then just kind of like vegetables in general, especially green vegetables. So this is a really good plug for eating your vegetables there you go and and having like plenty of plant foods because they're actually going to be supportive of your testosterone levels because people think like oh yeah testosterone is you eat red meat um which is you know helpful because there's yeah. zinc in that and there's other nutrients in that and there's protein in that and not that the protein actually has a, a direct impact as such but um you know it's still important if you're trying to gain muscle mass and strength um and then yeah just making sure your calorie intake is not too low and then that you're at a healthy body fat level those yeah. are and then, you know, the, the sleep and not being too and stressed and all that stuff. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vegetables, I think, always have their place. Oh, yeah. Always, big time, big time. I even came across something there the other day about, um, I think it was a, a beetroot helping 
with the production of nitric oxide, mm. which is very key. I mean, if you're a male, that's you want nitric oxide in your blood because it's going to help blood flow, and we all know where oh, that yeah. goes. And um, listen, talking about testosterone. You, sorry, just a, oh, sorry, a sorry. fun fact there. Yeah. Rocket is actually the the best source of dietary nitrates, which then produce the nitric oxide. So is it? Yeah. Rocket is. Mm. Love rocket. Oh, happy days. Well, you, can, you can't go wrong with it. Yeah, it like yeah. brightens up the plate as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, some people don't like it's too spicy for some people. It like, is. It has a bit of a weird kind of taste. yeah, peppery. Mm. I was going to say there's a bit of a twang to it. Talking about men that had high testosterone, I'm going to just mention the Stoics mm -hmm. just to cap this off because <laughs> I love a bit of philosophy. Yeah. Um, how did you come across stoicism? That's a good question, man. Um, and I don't know if I can remember. I think it was listening to a podcast. And I want to say it was like Ryan Holiday. Who's an author of a load of? Who's yeah. the OG? The, the pop, Stoic, yeah, no. the popular. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's the OG now. Um, I think he was being interviewed on Tim Ferriss, and I think that's where I first came across it. Yeah. Uh, but I can't quite remember, which kind of annoys me because it's had such a positive uh, impact. I, I think it's uh, especially as men. I think we love just having. I don't know. It's just given us a great basis for principles to live our life. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. Is there any principles in particular that you have taken from Stoicism and that you apply now to your own life? Yeah, I will. I think. I, I mean, think looking I, after I, yourself is a great example of that because you're leading by example. You know what I mean? This, you're you're literally living the life that you're trying to show other people to live in terms of your health, your nutrition, mm. your uh, coaching to people, you're helping to people, you're living a virtuous life. I think it's like I think Stoicism is great because it's provides like a practical blueprint for how you might go about living your life. Yeah, and I, think, well said, yeah. I think there's a, you know, a hole there left by religion, which is maybe where people would have got some of this code of conduct from beforehand. Mm. Um, in the past, you know, kind of, you know, in Ireland, obviously like Christian or Catholic kind of virtues and morals and stuff. That was a guiding force, but, you know, that's on the decline. Yeah. Um, so something like a philosophy that informs, you know, how you might live, like stoicism. It's, it's very, I think it's very manly as well, isn't it? <laughs> like stoicism is very, like, obviously women can get involved in it too, I'm not saying that, but I just feel like from, obviously you got Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, and, and everything. It's yeah. just, it, it, it's all obviously. I mean, that's that's going to be a product of the times though. Like, yeah. you're not going to, like, women wouldn't have been platformed. Exactly, um, yeah, that too. And there's, they're the only texts, like, that we have left of, like, the stoic writers um, I, won't, I won't say unfortunately, but there's a lot more there. Like it's only a very small section they estimate, like of, of mm. Stoic writing. So yeah, we've got the Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. You've got uh, some of the works by Seneca and some Epictetus. of the works by Epictetus, and that's yeah. all we have. But there is, there were more. They're just kind of lost to history. Um, but in terms of uh, in terms of how it's helpful, like yeah, I. I no, I'm not sure. I, I'm sure I got this from somewhere. But I think about Stoicism as like okay you're trying to control your perceptions of things, right? So, you know, um, you know, Marcus Aurelius talks about like, if, if you choose not to feel harmed, then you haven't I love been that. harmed. But it's so true. Everything is interpretation in this life. It's what yeah. you interpret it to be. It's your own perception. Yeah. And I think that is so helpful. So helpful. Because like, if you're, you know, if you're flipping the lid because, you know, someone cut in front of you in a queue or something, and it's like, if you're getting worked up about that, like it's increasing your stress levels for no real good reason. So, you know, your perception of that, you can have a say on, right? Yeah. So I think about the perceptions and controlling them and it's about how you interpret things. I think about doing the right thing and, and making that a priority. And being a good human. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like it's just, it's just basic things, but it's great just having written text or even hearing it through whether it be Tim Ferriss or Ryan Holiday. It's just, I think it's like messages that we constantly need reinforced over and over and over again. And just to know that you've control over yourself. Yeah. Like I always say, if someone can um, can bring anger or you know jealousy or whatever out of you, they have control over you. You've given mm. your power away. Yeah. Control that power. Be stoic, like you know. Don't. I'm not saying don't express. Don't ever express emotion. We're emotional beings. We have to express who we are. But it's just like, I, it never been seen. Like, imagine just going off at someone. It's just it's a sign of weakness. Yeah, you, I, you have no sense of like they can just bring I, this out of you. You're like, just control yourself. Yeah, I, I can think of an example. Like my mom told me an example that recently. She didn't tell me when it happened. Um, it's uh, like I don't know. She she parked up at the shops or something, and uh, I don't know. I think she was like waiting a minute for someone to come out, and then some fella came in after her and and said something very rude to her, which I can't even say on the podcast. Yeah, and. It would have bait the shite out of the lad, first of all. But if I had been, if I had witnessed it, yeah. which wouldn't be very stark of me, <laughs> but maybe it was the right thing to do. Um, but can, like, can you imagine just following someone into a shop to say, I'll tell you what that they said afterwards. Yeah. Like, it's very explicit and I was horrified. But anyway. Um, it's a weak man though. Oh. That, it's complete weakness. To chase a woman into a shop over parking a car, that's just weakness. Yeah, and he wasn't even going into the shop. Because she said he, he bailed off then. And he said, he said you would have fit two cars in there, you ignorant, mm. and you can fill in the end of that yeah, sentence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's bad form. It's bad form. So, yeah, that's like shocking. shocking. But that's not being a good human. That's not being virtuous at all. No, like you said, it's weak. It's weak. It's weak. That's what weak. it is. But I just think, yeah, just having control of your emotions and your own perception and just the one thing, the only thing that we control in this life is our mind. And that's mm. it. Like our health could go a certain way, yeah. but just how the thoughts that we have in our head. And that's yeah. one thing stoicism's really hit home with me is like everything you control up here and you, like if if you are a good human and you live a good life, like I always say, there's a quote from uh, Gandhi that I love. It's like, you become the change that you want to see in the mm. world. And it's so, so true. It's like, be a good human. Other people see that. They become good humans. And just the cycle continues. And that's what I really like about Stoicism. And, you know, it's just uh, being a virtuous man, you know. You've yeah. got the, the principles there. What is it? Courage, justice, wisdom, and temperance. And mm. it's just four since very very simple principles. If you live your life that way, you'll live a good life. Yeah. And you'll find happiness through doing it as well. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a good uh, book called uh, Stoicism and the Art of Happiness, oh, uh, which I'd recommend. Uh, written by Donald Robertson, who is also one of the better kind of stoic writers. He's an, he's an academic as well. He, he wrote that book. Um, it was a How to Live Like a Roman Emperor, I think it is. That's also very good. Um, but yeah, Stoicism and the Art of Happiness, you might enjoy that if you haven't, Definitely so. if you haven't read it. Um, and yeah, there's that misconception about uh, being stoic and being unemotional, which is not no. true. It's no, not it's actually not. the case. There's There's to be stoic and then there's stoicism, right? And it just happens that to be stoic is derived from that, but it's okay. not—it's not the same thing. It's the—it's being unemotional is not in there, but it's no. you know tempering those emotions, tempering and, exactly. You know, basically getting worked up when it's applicable and yeah. not when it's not. And then the—the yeah. the last piece of it that I think about is like there's this um, acceptance of fate and, and that you can't control everything. Yeah, so true. Um, yeah. Memento mori, you might die tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. that's on my pendant here. Oh, on, lovely. On the gold one, yeah. Oh, daily. That's a memento mori pendant. Brian Holiday sent you that? Uh, yeah, he yeah. autographed it as well, <laughs> <Bernie>. <laughs> Brian, it's been a pleasure. If anyone is looking to get in contact with you, um, where do they go? 
Yeah, um, you can go. I'm most active on Instagram, which is uh, at Brian O'Hengusa. It's B-R-I-A-N-O-H-A-O-N-G-H-U-S-A. Um, you can go to Triage Method as well on that Instagram. We post a lot of uh, fitness and health-related content. We've got quite a diverse team there. We've got medical doctors on the team. We've got uh, f- fantastic physiotherapists on the team. Strength coaches, PTs, nutritionists, which, you know, obviously I am one. So that's worth checking out, triagemethod.com. But me personally, mostly on uh, Instagram. So you can you can get me there. Lovely stuff. Happy days. Thank you very much for doing this, Brian. Very welcome. It's a pleasure. All the best, everyone. Take care. There we have it. The episode in full. I hope you have taken some value. That's what it's all about. Anytime you listen to a podcast or, you know, you're watching something, what are you learning from it? How is it going to implement or affect your own life? And, you know, that's what it's all about. It's listening to something new, you know, just, it's all about developing yourself, gaining more information and then implement into your own life. So hopefully there's something that Brian has said there that you may do. Fingers crossed. Listen, thank, I just want to thank Brian um, once more because it was an absolute pleasure. Like I said before, he's a man with uh, a lot of credit, credibility as well. His own Instagram is Brian Ohengesa, Um That's where you can find him. And my own Instagram is jameshempton underscore. So, yeah, until the next one, I hope you have a lovely day. Take it easy, and I'm wishing you all the best. Take care.